Welcome to Beyond Storybrooke. I'm Trina. And I'm Addie. And we're here to discuss two episodes of Once Upon a Time called Siege Perilous and The Broken Kingdom. So before we start, we had a little announcement and uh, these episodes are coming a little bit later and it's not a quick turnaround as we would like. Not as consistent. Uh, We haven't been too engaged as much as we want to. So we have a Quick announcement, which we were trying to contemplate when would be the best time to say it, whether it be at the end or the beginning, and we thought the beginning. So, well, why the beginning? Because I think in the end, we don't we don't want to dupe you by doing the whole show, and then at the end we finally give you the announcement. Because uh, then, it, it, yeah, you feel duped, and at the same time, it's. We don't want to leave you with just that thought in the end. We want to not let that be the overall feeling of today's episode with that news. So we'll say it in the beginning. This, unfortunately, will be our last episode for Beyond Storybrooke. And we wish we we could do it and continue to do it. But we just don't have the time right now. Yeah, there's a couple of life responsibilities calling on us, uh, business responsibilities calling on us, and it's been something that we've been trying to work out. And before the season even started, uh, we were thinking of ways that we can possibly work around it. And just these past four weeks now, if you think about it, it's been four weeks <laughs> yeah. that the show has started. We just can't seem to find that rhythm that would keep the show going. So with that, we do have to say this is the last episode of Beyond Storybrooke. Um, unless things magically change, <laughs> but <laughs> nice choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pun intended. But we wanted to. We we don't have the time to give it the quality it deserves, right? And there's one thing to just put out a show and just say we put out the show for the sake of doing it, and we don't want it to be that way. Uh, we wanted to give it the full attention here on the show, beyond the show, mm-hmm. like on social media in our Facebook group, um, through emails. We just don't have that bandwidth, unfortunately, at this time. So with that said, we do want to say 100% thank you to the Golden Spiral team. Daryl, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. And I would like to guide you that just because Beyond Storybrooke is done and over with, Golden Spiral Media has so many shows that you can choose from. They're very exciting, very fun. I know a couple of you kind of cross over from show to show, and we have all of you to thank for for following us, being with us on this journey, on Beyond Storybook journey, and the Golden Spiral journey. So we owe it to you to say thank you so much for being with us, making yeah. this really fun for the time we have been doing it. Yeah, thank you. And we enjoyed every bit of feedback that we've we've received on on the Facebook page. And now what about the Facebook group? We're kind of determining a couple of things right now. But in the meantime, feel free to still use it as your central hub of communication um, you know, Eliana, Chris Tipton, and Faith, Faith Justina. Guys, yeah, you guys do such a great job of sharing your thoughts, your emotions about this show. So that's the, the fun part about it. Um, and there's this new thing called like a blab where people can do live shows um, on camera, have a community live happening. So we're possibly thinking that if we can, we can do that once the show is rolling. I think that would be really fun to have everybody live a part of the show instead of, you know, post-production. You know, we watch the show, 
we have your guys' thoughts, and now we're going to do the show. Like, no, it would be cool to just watch it together and have those reactions and emotions happen firsthand. But right, yeah. So time will tell if that's a possibility, depending on on our lives here. But uh, enough of that. I yeah. think we should just dive into these two episodes. There's a lot to say, a lot of feedback we need to read, and let's get started with the episode three, Siege Perilous. Let's do that. So Siege Perilous, I give a rating of 8 out of 10 Crimson Crowns. I give it a 10 out of 10 fancy seats or chairs at the (laughs) round round table. table. Yeah. All right. So let's start. I think the first thing I want to mention is there's kind of a circular argument going on maybe, or maybe I'm thinking of a circular argument. Is all of Emma's magic really dark? She used it on Robin, after all. But it comes with a price. So why can't she use it? They, they're they like really stopping her from using it. Is it because they just have that fear that it's just going to get out of control? I feel like the more you use the, dark's one, the dark one's power, the more you get consumed in that power. I think maybe I'm just still separating it in my head. Like, you know, because there's savior in there somewhere. Right. But fighting. I... Fighting. But I think we're seeing it time after time. The more, and I brought this up in the last episode, the more she gets that taste of it, the more it becomes haunting, the more she craves for it. And then the more I think she starts to see the darkness, you know, AKA Rumple image, she keeps seeing him and she just kind of, I think that will keep engaging. Mm-hmm. And you brought up one point, I don't know if this is kind of jumping the gun, but I feel that in this episode, we all, and I think you're doing this too, we all, we all think that it's still Emma. That's still Emma. And, and yeah. she's the savior. She's the cool Emma that we've known since day one of Storybrooke. And, you know, along with her little boy, Henry, she's not. And we see that her dad, you know, Charming goes through this. He mentions it in the beginning because the dwarves are upset. <laughs> you're, you're actually going to the, the right path I want to go to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, she steals their axe because she thinks that be- by stealing the axe, she can go ahead and get the, the sword. Um, and they get mad and they, they're so upset. And if you don't do something about your daughter, then we will. Right. And then Charming just gets enraged. Like, how, how dare they even speak of my daughter that way? That's not their daughter anymore. We see it also in Hook. Hook, you know, wants to keep thinking, you know, my lady is still in there. My lady is still there. He has a lot of hope for her. And then obviously in the end, he gets duped. He doesn't get duped. He makes a decision. And that's, I think I'll hold off on that little thought there about Hook and Emma and the dark one. Okay. So you mentioned Grumpy. And I think the quote of the night is uh, when she tries to break that stone with the axe. Yeah. And Rumpel's pretty much like, nothing cuts through magic except maybe a kiss. I thought that was a quote on it. Anyway, that's a side thing. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, you bring in the dwarves and everybody, you know, sees Emma as the dark one except for those who love her. Mm-hmm. And you have David who wishes, and he kind of says it too, that he he should have been the one to take her spot. Like what kind of father was he to just stand by? Yeah, and I think Hook posed that question too. You know, was it our responsibility to have gone and sacrificed one of us men instead of right. our daughter, instead of my loved one. Why did we let her do that? As men, 
And and we kind of see this also with David. He goes back to Camelot. He wants to have that, you know, recognition that he's something more. So along with these feelings of guilt and then this feeling of what's happening in Camelot and the attention he's getting from King Arthur, I think him and Hook, they kind of feel a little guilty of like, well, why didn't we jump in and do something? I think David too, though, is feeling like he needs a purpose. And he yeah. he says it in this episode. He He's dubbed as this, as this hero, but he just, he doesn't want to be known as the prince who kisses, you know, Snow White to life or what, however, however he put it. So he wants a purpose. As of this point, there doesn't seem to be a purpose for him. I think he's dying for that, which is, you know, cue in King Arthur. Well, I think their purpose right now is to be, you know, the supporting parents with a level head too, because, you know, he, he and Snow just had a baby. So it's having to protect that family too. Um, and then we see here quickly what happens when he so quickly gives his hand or his hope into the wrong person. We find out that King Arthur isn't the man who we thought he was. Yeah, he's questionable. And you didn't you don't think this when you hear of Camelot. You think, you know, he's he's a king, he's noble, and his intentions are good. But it's very questionable all throughout this episode. I mean, the first the first one was uh, the subject Griff. Mm-hmm. He he kind of they kind of um, set set it up where he steals a magic bean that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and then he takes the fall for the love of Camelot. Now, is this the first king that we see um, has like a an evil plan behind uh, him? Or I would say not, because remember, Charming's dad. He was kind of. Was any kind of uh, mean, if I remember his correctly, stepdad? his stepdad? See, all well, because he true. was a twin, and it was his son. His his. I'm just wondering because so far the the focus has been on the women rulers. You have uh, Cora. Oh, good point. You have uh, Regina. She was the evil queen. You have, um, I mean, okay, Elsa wasn't necessarily evil, no. but she had her own things dealing with, but. I kind of saw a theme here that it was always the women who had like this vindictive side of them. And here we have King Arthur. Suddenly it's, it's a male, but I can be wrong. I'm just good pointing point. out. It's a question. Good, no, it's a good point too. A valid point. I don't think they really dive into the kings, which, yeah, it's mostly mm-hmm. the women. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, King Arthur does a lot of questionable things in this episode. And you have Lancelot coming back to life, so to speak, uh, and appearing to Snow, or, you know, going to Snow and saying, do not trust King warning Arthur, them. warning him that he is the evil villain in this, you know, in Camelot. Right. And then also the Crimson Crown. When David took it, I guess in, in saving him, he actually stole it from him. Yeah, I and mean, he made it look like they lost it in between battle. Right. And then we find out that later on, towards the end of the episode, they're in this encampment. And oh my gosh, now that we're talking about this, I felt so disappointed in King Arthur's follower, the the guy, I forgot his name, the person who obeys everything. The subject? Is that the one who took the poison? Yeah. Griff. Wow. I was so upset. Like, why would you do that? Like, he's, I mean, I know... You have those that are loyal to you and everything, but he just sacrificed his whole life for him to do that. So the thing, okay, with that too, I kind of made a note 
he turned into green mist. Kind of like a like, Zelina. Like Zelina. So is he really dead or... You and then know? you posed a question while we were watching that scene. Are there cameras? Yeah. There, are there cameras there? Yeah. It's a police department. Yeah. So... So they would be able to see... Uh, yeah. Well, I guess that'll all come to light. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about episode four, we kind of understand why, you know, still on the same side as King Arthur, right? Right. All right. So you mentioned Hook. Let's go on to Hook and Emma. You know, he kind of finally comes to terms and pretty much says, I loved you, past tense. That was very heartbreaking for a lot of people to see. And it kind of hurt you. Like, it hurt me too to watch that because you see genuine love here. But I want to take a moment to observe that type of love. Why did Hook fall in love with Emma to begin with? Because he's a pretty good looking guy. He can have just about anybody, <laughs> which is his history, right? Right. He had pretty much any women that he wanted. He's really interested in, in saying this woman's mine. He even took Rumpel's wife. Rumpel's wife. Yeah. But I think he initially and and instantly, almost instantly fell in love with Emma because she wasn't of their world. Here you have an innocent, you know, Emma comes into his picture, kind of resists the whole story. It, she's just somebody totally different. And that drew his attention and his attraction towards her. And I think that's why he fell in love with her to begin with, to say, oh, finally, there's somebody that's disconnected from all of this mess, and I'm tired of it. And I have been under the control and the manipulation and the pain of the Dark One. She was a breath of fresh air. Then she becomes a Dark One. Yeah, And it's kind of like, here we go again. I know you're not the person I fell in love with. And I'm tired and will not accept that the Dark One continues to control my life. Because Rumpel made his life miserable. So now that she's a Dark One, it's the same spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same spirit. So he just gives up because he then sees, you know what? It's the dark one messing with me, getting the best of me. Go ahead and pretend to make a nice little festive night of dinner that we can chit chat. And then all of, all of a sudden she just snaps her fingers and it looks like it's Emma. But he's, she's manipulating him the whole dinner time to get what she wants. And he knew that and said, you know what? I thought you were better than this. And it's, you know, Emma's dealing with the struggle, right? But we're seeing that in this phase of the story, in Storybrooke, it's completely the dark one now. So I, I think that's my theory or that's my understanding of Hook. Just saying, you know, I'm done. You know, when the yeah. true Emma comes back, I right. will be back. But she wasn't really completely separate from the Enchanted Forest storyline. She is the savior after all. Yeah, she would, didn't, you know, she wasn't in the same realm or whatnot with them. But by all means, I think she wasn't a normal person. Well, what I was just trying to say, like, you know, she's not Regina. She's not okay, Snow. Yeah. She's not any of those who have, like, these magical powers to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. She grew up differently. She grew up in the real world, so to speak, not knowing. Yeah, she didn't know she had magic, is right. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. And I, I do like the whole, uh, the irony of Hook and the Dark One. He's always connected. Mm-hmm. Like you said, always connected to the Dark One somehow. Somehow they have always been, uh, before the whole thing with um, Rumpel's wife, it was the whole Peter Pan story. Remember, he was really close with the Peter Pan, not oh, really yeah. knowing who Peter Pan was. right. right. 
But Peter Pan, the dark one even there, just think about it. Take a look at Hook's history. The dark one is always there messing with him. Poor Hook. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can't catch a break from the dark one. Yeah. And here, here it is at its best, right? Taking hold of the women that he loves. What I like about this episode, too, is you, you see Hook and Belle grow closer because... The tables have turned. Right. You know, Belle was in his shoes with Rumple, and now Hook is in her... Hit, <laughs> it's like, her it? shoes, <laughs> yeah, with Emma. And what's funny about that is that Belle was in love with what he called the crocodile, Rumple, his greatest mm-hmm. enemy, and here you have Hook confiding to Belle with Belle she like how she coped with being in love with the dark one. Yeah. Interesting dynamic. I like when I like that it's kind of all connected that way. It's kind of I mean, I hate to word these ironic, but yeah. I mean, that's what it is. It is. And along with that, he also turns to Robin for some <laughs> consolation yeah. and like Dude, what do I yeah, do? Yeah, it's like two bros talking about their love life. Yeah, well, I got a sticky situation. You with Zelina. <laughs> yeah. Which, speak, that was a funny scene, too, with, uh, they were looking at the ultrasound. I'm inside Zelina. I'm inside whoa. Zelina right now. Whoa, whoa. And, like, I've never seen an ultrasound before. It was hilarious. I think that's the most bravest that they have been with their induendos, right? Right. <laughs> so let's touch on Zelina and Robin real quick. So Zelina wants to go back to Oz and just live happily with her child, somebody Mm -hmm. to love her and only her. But Regina won't let that happen because essentially she's taking away Robin's child. And Robin is growing to love or consider, you know, this kid that's his and he wants to raise it. And we come to find out Regina wants to take the baby away from Zelina and send her back to Oz or what have you. Well, it's not fair for Zelina to leave, but hey, she kind of does bring up a good point. Like you had a second chance with somebody to love you, why can't I with my child? Granted, it would be wrong to take take the child back to Oz, but I don't know. It was just kind of a, when she made that comment, I, for a moment, for a moment, I thought, why don't they just let her leave? <laughs> they could just be happy together, but, you know, Robin, the noble man that he is. The concern is, how do we, how do we let someone so evil keep her child what what's to come of that child? And yeah. it's like, well, I can give the child the best life it deserves because I'm not vindictive. Right. I'm not envious. You know, I'm right. not full of all of that hatred. And he does talk about that in, in this episode and um, even episode four, just the thought of him having another kid gets him giddy. But it's shocking that it's with Zelina. It's yeah. like, uh. <laughs> And it's kind of hurtful towards Regina, too, I think. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that she should keep her kid or just what happens? I don't know. So, okay, for a moment when I was watching that scene, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, why don't they just let her leave? She'd be gone. No problems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we're discussing it, there's a lot of inc- implications that could happen if she just took that baby away and they let her go away. You know, there's a lot of issues or well, not issues. There are a lot of, a lot of problems that could potentially arise. I don't know. That's a tough one because I am not a Zelina fan. Everybody knows that. I don't, you know, I don't root for her in any way. But at the same time, you know, that one scene where she's like, you know, you had a second chance. I just want somebody to love me. And why can't this baby be it? Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, why why not? (laughs) And then I think, oh, yeah, because you're Zelina. Yeah. 
he just can't really trust you. All right. What about the game changer of this episode? Okay. This episode, the game changer, I thought, well, there was a couple, I thought, but the game changer, ugh, the game changer to me is that Rumple is the key to pull Excalibur out of the stone. Because he's neither dark nor light. He's pretty much a clean slate. I, I have to agree with you. When they said that, I thought that was like light bulb moment. Here is, and again, ironic. This episode has a lot of, you know, ironic situations going on. That being one, the guy who everybody has been uh, running from <laughs> and the one, one guy that's made her life pretty tough. Here she is using him as like, <laughs> you're the key to this, what I need. You're going to make me do something or yeah. you're going to be the one to help me here. Tables have turned. Tables again. have turned. And then another game changer, I think, too, is that King Arthur has the Crimson Crown. Yeah, I think but, we finally get to see, because um, throughout the whole episode, you're, you're figuring out, is, wait. Is King is Arthur this, good or bad? Right? Yeah. Are they trying to tell us something about King Arthur? And sure enough, at the end. Questionable. Yeah. yeah. What? Are his plans for him, and I've always had a funny feeling about him. Did you? Yeah, and I did. The dude looks like Jared Leto. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. He, if you really look at him, he looks like Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go into episode three feedback. All right. So, Siege Perilous from Eliana. Here we go. Eliana writes another great episode. I don't want to be remembered as the man who kissed a sleeping princess some years ago. Really nice sentiment, trying to leave a leg legacy for yourself, but also wanting to be defined by something bigger than yourself, doing something that matters. I really like this moment between Arthur and David. I agree. That, again, that goes back to him having a, a bigger a purpose, bigger purpose than being that guy. Really moving scene with Dark Swan and Hook, even though I can't stand this coupling. <laughs> I know, Elian, I never really liked this couple. <laughs> I enjoyed Arthur's and David's new friendship. They had a lot in common, which is nice. Yay, Lancelot is alive. Love his friendship with Snow. Arthur's a villain? Interesting. I kind of saw it coming. I could sense something unusual going on with him. Tied to wanting Excalibur whole, protecting his kingdom, Camelot, etc. Hopefully it all works out. I do have a question. If Merlin prophesied the Savior saving him... Why didn't he tell Arthur the Savior's name unless Arthur knows and Arthur is the reason Merlin is stuck in the tree to begin with? Because Merlin also prophesied he is not the true king and Arthur wants to keep the power. Ah, I didn't catch that. I like that. Yeah, I do too. I really like that theory. That would, because we don't know who put Merlin in that tree, right? Mm -mm. And if he did prophesy that, yeah, why wouldn't they say the name? I guess I'm going to be jumping ahead because <laughs> we do see a scene in the next episode. Yeah, let's stick to About this. Merlin. So let's stick to this episode. Okay, here we go. Maybe Snow and Charming Son is because if I remember correctly, in the episode of Charmed, the firstborn child was prophesied to wield Excalibur. Since Emma is the savior and equally powerful, maybe Snow and Charming Son is destined to wield Excalibur. Huh. Also, think putting the sword and dagger won't make the dark one more powerful, but destroy the darkness when it's in the right hands. I don't know, just a thought. That's what I was thinking too. If it's in the right hands, once maybe it won't be to destroy the darkness, but for something good. It depends on the person's heart. Exactly. exactly. True intentions. 
And we don't know King Arthur's true intentions. He does want to make it whole, but why? Right. right? I do like that theory, though, that it's Snow and Charming's son to be the one to pull out that sword. Okay, Eliana continues. His poor subject, though. Yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> nice to see Rumpel awake again. Poor Belle, though. Jennifer did a great job at the end. The writers had said that Emma did cast this curse and had to be crushed a heart. What if it's not the her you love the most, but the heart you hate the most? What if Emma crushes half her heart because her heart is the thing she hates because it's turning dark? If that's not it, then... So is Emma pretending to be someone to cover the fact that someone is not there? If someone died by crushing their heart to enact the curse, then isn't that possible? Interesting. Interesting yet confusing. No, No, that's a good theory. We don't, you know, they did say that Emma cast the curse. But if you remember, in order to cast this kind of curse, you have to crush the heart of somebody you love the most. So... What happened? I like the theory here. Yeah. What if she crushed half her heart? Or because we've if, we've seen something like Regina has done something like that, right? Was it Regina or Cora that like did something like half? It was Regina. She took half of half of a half of Charming's and half of Snow's. Oh, okay. And made it whole so that they were they wouldn't die. That's right. Huh. Interesting. I didn't think about that. That's good. Good feedback, Eliana. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Since we're doing feedback, let's jump into the Broken Kingdom's feedback, and we'll discuss it from there. But first, what rating did you give that episode? I gave this a 7 out of 10 hooks, giggling grins. <laughs> now, I think you didn't know what that <laughs> what I meant like, by what? that. Um, I have never seen Hook be so giggly, happy, and grinny in this entire series as he did when he saw that uh, Henry yeah. has like a love interest, a little <laughs> girlfriend in the in the works, he just was smiling the whole time and giddy and like you see, yeah, you see the uh, <laughs> it yeah. was he was giddy about it, and then Emma's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you being got the a mother, girlfriend? yeah, being the mom, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Okay, what about you? I gave it a seven point five Merlin's gauntlet. I sp- but Merlot's. <laughs> What's he thinking of why? <laughs> Merlot's. So I thought this was kind of a a sleeper episode. I mean, they kind of progressed with the story a little bit, but I felt like nothing exciting happened. It kind of left me a, a, with a little hint of disappointment of like, hmm, did they really have to do that in the storyline? Oh, come on. Are they doing this? Uh, so there was a couple of things that kind of, upset me about this episode and i agree with you it did progress towards the end you know it made sense where the direction of the show is going um but for the most part it was a sleeper episode (laughs) so let's go into chris tipton's feedback all right broken kingdom here we go this was a decent if not disappointing episode i really enjoyed the music mark isham is a composing genius the one thing i absolutely hated about the episode kicks off my five points. <laughs> Number five, the plotline of Lancelot and Guinevere was extremely disappointing to me. I feel like they were giving her an excuse to cheat on Arthur. Yes, it's not good that Arthur was giving more attention to the dagger than her, but that's no excuse. And the scene where she kisses Arthur and, tr- and they try to make you feel sorry for Lancelot made me cringe. 
I understand it wasn't real, but Guinevere is still Arthur's wife. That's where she should be. I also feel they're breaking the laws of magic with this sand making Guinevere love Arthur. I suppose technically she just appears to. So I guess that there's the loophole. So this is something we discussed too about that sand of Avalon, how mm-hmm. they just used it to make... Because I thought the purpose of, of that sand was to make things, broken things whole. So, you know, King Arthur used it on Guinevere, so mm-hmm. she would love him again. Right. And then you see her use it on Snow and Charming so that they could side with them. Yeah. This is one of the things that upset me about the continuity of their storyline and the purpose of certain things. You have that sand, you know, what is broken can become whole with this powder, this magic powder. But I feel like it's it's kind of like everything. Um, it's based on the perception and the intention of the person who owns it. Because the Charmings weren't broken. That's right. And the relationship with them, there isn't nothing there to kind of glue them back as whole, quote unquote. So I, I see why, and it made sense with uh, Guinevere and King Arthur. That made total sense because they're married. She's supposed to be loyal to him. And kind of going back on what Chris was saying, you know, he felt that that was just an excuse for her to stray and go with... Um, yeah, Lancelot. Lancelot. I, I think the show did a kind of a bad um, depiction of this is her feeling lonely, feeling vulnerable. Like she has lost her husband. So she's confiding in her best friend and they happen to start to fall in love with each other. Not so much like, hey, he's not available, so I'm going to go cheat. I didn't see it that way. I just felt that it was a little weak on how they expressed that. I agree. Um, But again, with the powder, to say that the powder is going to give me what I want, it doesn't make sense. And then when, again, he uses it to to make the kingdom whole. Oh, right. Yeah. That kind of makes sense in that, okay, you know, there was a beautiful kingdom once built. Now it's in, you know... It's torn apart. It's in shreds. It's in a a terrible condition. So that makes sense. But for it to always bend towards the reality and the desires of an evil person. Yeah, that that's what I don't I didn't like about that either. So I think we both agree with Chris. Like the the whole the sand what the magic of the sand just doesn't make sense to me. Because it really was just supposed to make something broken whole. Is it just me, though? I, And maybe it's because Guinevere is under the sand spell or what, what have you. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. when she first came on scene, I didn't really trust her. I thought she was evil. I thought there was something to her that we didn't know about. I think the two characters. There's something shifty about both of them, right? Right, right. And then you see, I was going to mention it uh, earlier, but, I mean, do we ha- does somebody always have to be good or bad? But it, was he good or bad? you see King Arthur flipping out and being obsessive saying, Oh, Merlin with all his damn riddles, like God <laughs> always playing with me. Like you know, there's a history there. So I don't know. I, I just two shifty characters. If you ask me, King Arthur and Guinevere. And one thing about this, the storyline that you kind of made me think about, as you said that right now, um, they take us to the beginning of when King Arthur was just Arthur and a little boy. Mm, yeah. Right. And he says, you know, um, Merlin, a guy trapped in the tree told me that I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just need to go do this. How long has Merlin been in there? Yeah. We don't know that either. So, I, and I thought, it, I, yeah, I don't know where they're going with I, that. I thought like he, that happened like 
fairly recently, supposedly. That's what I thought, too. Not so early in his storyline. But this is where the creators play with us a lot. They always just say, and this happened a lot in this episode, many years ago, five years later. Five years earlier. Yeah. Present day. Present day. Like, what? Uh, That's one thing, another thing that upsets me. It's like, I get why they're doing this, but... um, this reminds me of Lost. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. Now that I say, oh, no, I think there's a lot of Lost fans out there. <laughs> yeah. But this is exactly what they're they're known for, is to have this element that, as a viewer, you understand that Camelot and uh, all these realms have their own storyline. Camelot being on their own, they're able to twist and turn the story so much that we're just supposed to go along with it. But the fact that Merlin has been stuck in that thing since Arthur was a boy, I was just like, oh man, you're making my head know. hurt. <laughs> I want to see I want to see Merlin already. Yeah. All right. So we're, now that we're talking about Arthur as a little boy, uh, Chris, Chris is number four. Okay. Is Arthur. I love the casting choice for young Arthur. His eyes are so... Like grown Arthur, it's uncanny. Very true. Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing when I saw him. I was like, yeah. wow. I feel like he could easily be his son, LOL. I was disappointed to find out my theory was wrong. Arthur didn't put Merlin in the tree. I think it was probably the Lady of the Lake, which in many Arthurian legend stories actually did imprison Merlin in a tree. Oh, we were just talking about that. Here we are asking how Mar- Merlin got there and Chris throws out a theory about the Lady in the Lake. Lady oh. of the Lake. I'm sorry. Yeah. It makes total sense that finding the dagger basically drove Arthur mad. I should have seen that coming. It was sad to see the broship of Arthur and David die so hard. I love David calling him out on tricking him with a comfy chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three, the Dark One Vault. Seeing inside the Dark One Vault was epic, but I have to question why the dagger was there. I suppose this was during the time when Rumpel was terrorizing the Enchanting Forest and this is where he kept it. Makes sense, I guess. I think I think that's what, what it was too. That's where, so that it wouldn't get into anyone's hands, but his own possession so nobody can control him. Right. Rumpel said he went to Camelot to get it and she asked him how it went. And he said, good for me, not, not so good for Camelot. Well, they screwed the pooch on that one. He didn't go to Camelot at all for it and he was handed it. LOL. <laughs> nice plot hole. That's funny. <laughs> Good point. I didn't understand the darkness that tried to take Lancelot at all. I thought that all the darkness was in Rumpel. I thought this was a cheap plot device to push Gwen to kiss Lancelot. Oh, good point. I, I didn't get that either. Yeah, it made no sense. I was like, why is he going after him? Yeah, I totally agree with you. It was kind of like, let's just throw this in the mix. And so that, yeah, so that she can be like, oh, I love you mm-hmm. and give you a kiss. Right. Yeah. I almost lost you. Therefore, I shall kiss yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Merida. Even though she wasn't in the episode much, she was still great. I love her character and can't wait to see her team up with Lancelot. I think that'll be very cool. Mm-hmm. I rolled my eyes when Emma told her she was going to use her to make Rumple brave. <laughs> Room shot, but I still think this has the potential to be a fun storyline. That was pretty funny though, because she uses she wants to use Merida to make Rumple brave so that he can be the hero to pull get out it, that stone. Get it? Do you get, get it? it now? Get it? <laughs> <coughs> I 
I was like, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and number one, Emma and Killian. Wow, I love this so much. Killian's devotion to Emma is positively heartwarming. I love how hard he's willing to work to help Emma. It's love in its truest sense to me. That's pretty true. My heart broke for Emma seeing how tortured she was. I still want to know if the same thing happened to Rumpel during the beginning of him being the dark one. Killian's face when he found out about Henry having a crush on Violet was amazing. He looked like such a proud father. Easily the best moment of the episode. That's your best moment. <laughs> but you know, Chris brings something up here where um, that would be interesting to see Rumpel during the beginning when he became the dark one. Did he suffer like Emma? Because they did. see Emma wiped out. I mean, they do show that in the beginnings of, I think, season one. Season one and season two, they explain a lot of Rumpel. And um, I feel like he did. Well, maybe because he wanted it. I feel like he didn't have such a hard time. No, because it was a desire to say, I'm tired of being the coward, which is this. This episode actually ties back to who Rumpel was in the beginning. Um, remember that he was a coward or he was marked as yeah. the coward because he didn't go to war. Right. 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 And even some knight comes and punks him around in front of his kid. So it was these little events and the fact that his wife was taken away from him and she left. So Rumpel was willing to become Rumpelstiltskin, the evil one, the dark one, to get revenge on those who did him wrong, even at the cost of his own kid, remember? That's right. So he dealt with it. What Emma's dealing with Hook and her family Rumpel had deal, dealt with it with uh, Bellfire. Mm-hmm. Remember that whole story, yeah. my kid, you know, um, father and son storyline. That was more of Rumpel's pain and ache along with his wife. But he still chose the power. Yeah. That's the difference between that, that dark one and Emma here. Right. And I, I agree that this episode is kind of heartbreaking. It kind of... um. I feel like episode three, it does kind of fast forward to like present day. And this is why Hook is so upset and hurt and so much that he is willing to say, you know what, I'm done for now. In this episode, they actually go, they rewind and say, hey, we want some more of what happened in Camelot. This is what happened. And you see it in Hook where he tried really hard and it was so romantic of him. (laughs) And you can feel like his support the whole way. She breathes happiness every time she would look at him and she's dealing with, I see the dark one. It looks like Rumpel. She even talks to him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always telling her, like, you won't see it anymore. You just have to keep looking forward. And they hop on the horse and they go yeah. off. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and Chris mentions it, too. And I just read it. Like, I, it, this is really what love is. You, he is. He is pretty relentless to help her. Yeah. Even though it, it'll be very difficult to, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So Chris continues. One side note. The Charmings coming to a quick resolution to their fight was, yes, another easy resolution. But I appreciate it because it shows what a great couple and parents they are. All in all, a good episode. I just wish we could find out more about Merlin. Although it was nice to hear how he gave the prophecy, he spoke it as the tree. Did he like turn into Grandmother Willow or something and speak to him? <laughs> I thought you needed the toadstool to communicate through magical barriers. 
Ah, maybe it wasn't so nice after all. I should stop thinking about it too much. Ha ha. I give this episode 7.75 out of 10 head demons. Hmm. That is true though. That's what they needed that that crimson clover for the so that they could talk to Merlin. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Good good thoughts there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. And one last feedback from Eliana for the Broken Kingdom. This was an okay episode. More fuller than moving the plot only got interesting towards the end. I think everybody's kind of on the same page, yeah, right? It's yeah. just, it was just, eh. What I like about the episode is snowing, fighting, then tricking Arthur. Favorite line was charming. You thought you could trick me with a little catchy, <laughs> with a, a catchy title and a comfy chair. Love that line. Regina, I'm not weird about them. They can outlive a cockroach. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I did not like Arthur and Guinevere putting a spell on the Charmings. Really hope Regina knows them well enough to see something not right. And maybe this is why Emma thinks they failed her because she doesn't know they've been, they've been spelled. Good point. And yeah, I hope too the same thing. Regina should see through that because they come back saying uh, they want to help Arthur. And she's like, what? Eliana continues. I was wondering if the curse brought Merida here and can't wait to see her train. Rumple, but my question is, Rumple really the hero she needs, or is she turning him into a hero so he can fight the person she really wants, which is Hook, really hoping it isn't the case. Interesting. But I think the reason why they need Rumple though, is because his heart is, there's nothing. It's like a blank slate, right? She needs a hero in order to get the sword out, right? Right. So she's building that hero from a blank Rumpel. slate. Okay. Eliana continues, I'm also beginning to think Emma braces the darkness to save everyone from Camelot. Also think she's going to use their love for her to destroy the darkness completely. She's doing it for the right reasons, but in the wrong way. Oh. So to touch back on what she was saying, that, you know, you have here uh, Emma building a hero. Without having to build a hero, I kind of feel funny. I feel like <laughs> I should say build a bear. Yeah. <laughs> um. Who, in your opinion, Trina, would you consider the hero at this very moment in the whole storyline? Like, do you think it's charming? Do you think it's no. do you think it's Henry? Do you think it's Hook? A part of me thinks it's Henry because he's the most innocent one. He, he does have he's the heart. Writer. He does have the uh, heart Author. heart of the truest believer. So probably the most pure of them all. Well, not of them all, but. Of everybody else, I don't think it would be any of the characters. They've all done kind of, <laughs> you know. But isn't that things. funny? Like, as of right now, there is no actual hero. And yeah. then maybe we're not even looking at the right form. I didn't even mention the women. Is Regina at this moment a hero? Well, she's trying to be the savior. <laughs> Which is a, a hero in itself, isn't right. it? Yeah. Um, Belle... She's more of like an innocent, regular character. Doesn't really play that leader She's the role. Brains, right. Or the, they go to her for the books. Right, right. Uh, who else is there? Snow. A lot Snow. of the other characters that we've come to know are very thinned out. It's very, it's kept within this group of people that we're mentioning. We don't see Red Riding Hood. No. We well, don't. Yeah, no. Yeah. So it's interesting um, as. You know, the writers kind of point this out to say, 
There's not really a, a hero set in stone right now. There's no one really coming out, taking that stage. So here we have Emma building at Hero. Now, is this going to come and bite her in the butt? I guess we'll have to see as the season goes on. Yeah. I mean, all I think she really needs is somebody to pull that sword out. Right. And if she could build it through Rumple with a clean slate of a heart, then why not try? Mm-hmm. So you touch on characters we haven't seen, and this kind of will go into this little, this our last little segment of predictions of the whole season. Right. My question was, and I asked you when we were watching, where is Lily and Maleficent? Right. They are nowhere to be found. Like, what happened to them? Yeah, because season four, we're left with, you know, things are looking for the better. Uh, Lily wasn't the nicest one. She's pretty evil. and She was trying to fight it, though. Right. Um, And all of a sudden, season five happens, and they're gone. What happened? I don't... Maybe I'm... Maybe I just don't remember, but that last episode when Emma became the dark one, were they even there? No, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't there at all. I mean, they weren't there for that scene, but... From what I remember, they were in Storybrooke. But they weren't in that episode, were they? No. I don't, think so. I don't remember. So that leads me to my prediction here. What's your prediction? I think that Lily is going to be the one to save Emma from being the dark one. And I think I said it last season when it ended that Lily was going to be the one. She's the key to help. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think she's going to play. she's going to play a pivotal role in saving Emma. And then a part of me also thinks that the Dark One needs... Well, now, now that I'm talking, I think of a couple things. But the Dark One needs something to latch on to. What if that person is King Arthur? <laughs> I don't know. Because he's obsessed about bringing it together. But I don't know. He's a questionable character. I don't mm-hmm. know why he wants... I mean, I, I get why he wants Excalibur to be whole again just so he's not seen as a fraud. Right. But he did say, mention something, I think, last night, or last episode, about snuffing out the darkness or snuffing out the light. I I don't know. (laughs) I think somebody's going to have to become the dark one in order for Emma to be saved. Lily's going to save her, and I don't know who the next dark one will be. Could be King Arthur. Maybe they'll trap it in a tree, get Merlin out of there. I don't know. Now, I kind of held off on this for this segment. Going back to Zelina. There's a couple of things about Zelina that comes to mind when it comes to predictions. Uh, number one, Zelina and her kid right now, it, it kind of brings me back to the Maleficent and Lily scene that here you have Maleficent, the evil one, the villain, and then she has a baby and she makes it relatable. At the, uh, kind of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It creates this empathy for Snow and the Charmings to try to give her the respect that she deserves because she is a mom. Mm-hmm. So from like mother to mother, like, you know what, there's a code here and we understand that you are a daughter. We shouldn't have done that to your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt so guilty, right? So I feel like with Zelina, it's moving towards that direction. Yes, she's evil. She's one. Of, she's our most hated villain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we never really liked her. She. Actress, yes, she does a good job. Um, But here you have that very same situation. Very hateful villain having a kid that's connected to Robin and Regina. 
So I think when she has that kid, they're going to realize what, you know what? She's a mother just like I am. Everybody can relate to it. Let's let her be. So they let her go. They fast forward like they love to do with time. Hmm. And next thing you know, whoever the kid is comes back and its sole mission is to become the ruling, the rulers of the world. So somehow that kid becomes a dark one Hmm. because it wants to be as vindictive as its mom is. Hmm. Or as you're talking too, I mean, are they going to, they could possibly pull what Snow and Charming tried to do (laughs) with Maleficent's baby. Yeah. And maybe Zelina wants that though, like that darkness and that power. Would they take that? Okay. So that, that's another question that kind of came into my mind right now. Uh, talking about predictions, do you think that if Zelina was not in prison during that moment of exchange, Zelina would have been willing to become the dark one? Because she craves that power. She craves that desire of, I want 100% power over all of you people. Why didn't she become the dark one? Why didn't they let her become the I dark think, one? though, yeah, because she is just as powerful. She yeah. could handle all that. I'm, I'm I think that. I think you know that's a good thing. She does like that power, but the the only part of it is that she has to own the dagger herself. She can't give it to anybody else. Mm. She knows that once somebody else has that in their hands, she's lost all control. And I think part of it too, as I you kind of said that their sole mission is to 100% get rid of the dark one, so that it's right. tied to nobody. Mm-hmm. That there's no existence of the dark one. How do they permanently? Which is the theme of this season, right? How do they, number one, uh, hero becomes villain. That's the theme, right? And then number two of that theme is how do we eliminate one of the all-time timeless villains, which is the Dark One? How do we get rid of that without harming somebody we love? I think that's where they seek the answers from Merlin. Yeah. Well, that's why they're looking for That's him. why yeah. they're looking for him. So so hard to find. Yeah. Okay, as a prediction, do you think at the end of this season they're gonna they're gonna be able to talk Close to Merlin? This. Oh, absolutely. They have to. Yes. The end of I, the season or mid season? I think mid season, towards the end of this season. Is it gonna do you think it's I'm gonna sorry, be hold as- on. Do you mean like the, the hiatus season where it cuts? Yeah, hiatus season. Okay, yeah. Towards the end of that, they're going to be able to talk to him for sure. Do you think it's going to be as easy as talking to him to get rid of the Dark One in Emma? No. I kind of feel like a prediction is that she's going to love being the Dark One so much. She's not going to She's not going to want anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the, I think that's what the the power of the Dark One is. Right. She, she loves, she's going to start to like it. What do you think is going to happen with Henry? Do you think he becomes more than just the author? No, I think he's just the author. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you can't give him two. He's already got a couple things on his plate, right? He's the heart of the truest believer. That's mm. what Pan was after, remember? Right. And, and now he became the author. I mean, yeah, he could be the... No, I'm sorry. He could be the one to pull out the sword, but that's not going to happen either. So, I don't know. You're giving too much... I don't want to say too much clout. Too much to one character. You right. got Emma, Savior. Now the dark one. You got Snow and Charming, True Love Heroes. 
Right. You know, there's only one thing, but he's already got two things. Can you ever see that the tables turn like, yes, okay, you do have the charming family. You have the savior, a.k.a. Emma. Um, and then you have Henry as the author. So they're just like a bloodline of goodness, right? I would love to see, and this is not necessarily a prediction. This is just kind of like a desire that we do see that total 180 where on the beginning of the series, we really hate Regina. She is, she's so powerful. She's so mean, which we all kind of love because it's kind of humorous, right? It's very funny uh, to see her in her costume and see how she talked to people. Um, but I would love to see that in the end, the true savior is Regina or somehow tied strongly to Regina because um, there's no other character that I can feel so like proud for and cheer for like, man, this chick is awesome. And to go from that journey, she deserves this. Now you have the, again, the Zelina kid can kind of ruin things for her (laughs) and Robin. Like, yeah, that's true. You don't know how, if, if that baby is going to have any kind of magic, which I'm sure it would, coming from Zelina, what that's going to entail. Yeah, because Zelina's kid, she can instill in the kid, you know what, your aunt did this to us. Right. Go kill your aunt. I think that's for many seasons to come. (laughs) Again, like deep predictions here. (laughs) Okay, I've been talking. How about your prediction? That, I mean, I summed up my predictions for this season anyway. Um, Lily's going to be the one to save Emma. That's it. And the dark one, ugh, part of me thinks it's going to go into somebody like King Arthur for some reason, or they're going to put it somewhere. Or as we were talking, you know, maybe they put it in Zelina's baby, but Robin wouldn't have that. So that might be out of the question too. But I think Lily's going to play a role because we don't, haven't seen her. So she's bound to pop up some way, somehow. What becomes of Rumple, Mr. Gold? Just the man. He's not really Rumple Stillskin. Do you think he'd want to be the dark one again? Wouldn't that be crazy? Oh, he wanting. misses it. He misses it. He he's just not special anymore. Just the guy with the limp, Ugh. and he's like, I want to be the dark one again. That's a good question, but I don't know if because his, here he has this chance finally for his redemption to be with with uh, Belle. Oh. He's always wanted to be with Belle one hundred percent, but was always drawn back by that power. Now that he doesn't have that power, he, does he miss it and desire it and say, this isn't worth it? It might be too normal for him just to be a guy. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. that's. I think that's a big question right there for me. What happens to Rumpelstiltskin, Mr. Gold? Okay, so here's one of the ultimate predictions. Most series, especially when they've been on a good run, they end at the fifth season. <laughs> yeah. Um, when they've been doing really good, this is ABC. They have they have come to show with time and time again. When they have a good show, they do extend their contract. This is talking business, right, of the show. Um, when ABC has a good show on their hands, they always extend the contract. When they extend that contract is questionable. I don't know if they've done that already for Once Upon a Time. If they haven't, this is about the time they start to talk about it, which can be alarming because um, usually when they talk about it, it takes a couple to- a couple months to resolve, and it kind of goes into filming, and then the next season just plummets. Oh no! <laughs> so um, 
I guess the ultimate question is here. Do you think, I know they won't end it on season five. This is season five. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that they end it on season six. It's this season that they're going to finish and then one more season to wrap up the whole story. What is your prediction? Hmm. I think I'm with you there. I don't think, I don't think, as much as I would love to see it go on and on, I just wouldn't want the story to falter. And like you said, a lot of good series end at season five, six, maybe six. Right. And I agree, having watched a couple good series, it's yeah. season five is like the magic number. Mm-hmm. If they ended it here, I think it would be, it would go out with a good bang. But I wouldn't want them to do that. <laughs> so I would say season six, you know, so I, that's tough. That is tough. Because what more can they possibly do? Yeah. I mean, I mean this would be a good season to wrap everything up, you know. I uh, think so too. I, not that I say, not that I'm <laughs> saying I want it to end, but I just wouldn't want the series to go on and it just. If there's ever a, a season to keep, to keep the, the storyline strong. And the desire of these characters strong to make them live on and say, oh man, yeah, that was a good show. It's, it's when people say that comment, like, yeah, that was a good show. It's because it ended on a good note. Right. Uh, it wasn't drained out because, you know, the contract studios wanted it to go on for another five years and the, the creators only had a six year span. And then they start to bring in other creators because the, the main creators kind of get tired and they're just like, you know what? I'm my, writing juice for this storyline is done. Let's go ahead and bring on another person to write. And the, the whole storyline just dwindles away and it just really holds the name. The characters aren't really who they are anymore. Yeah, I think I would like to say uh, if they were going to end this series, it would be season six. I agree. I agree. Unless they have more up their sleeve that we don't know about. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of wraps up our show, right? Yeah. Again, a big thank you to everybody who, you know, is in the Facebook group and who listened to us. And we really appreciate it. And we love doing the show. We wish we could keep doing it, but just time will not allow us. Yeah, this is... Put the sorcerer hat. (laughs) Hanging on the hook. I don't know. (laughs) On hook's hook. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you to Golden Spiral Media. They have made this show possible from day one. Just because Once Upon a Time is done here on Golden Spiral Media doesn't mean that all the other shows aren't available. So we highly recommend them. Just go to goldenspiral.com or go to Beyond Storybrook, which is tied to goldenspiralmedia.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you.